You're listening to The Active Lifestyle Marketer, brought to you by Tiger Creative, the creative agency for active lifestyle brands. Find out more at tigercreative.com. Welcome to The Active Lifestyle Marketer, a podcast dedicated to bringing industry experience and insight into marketing and active lifestyle brands. Whether you're a travel and leisure, fitness and sport, or a health and nutrition brand, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other active lifestyle brand executives, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Active Lifestyle Marketer. Today on the show, we have Chris and John Thornham, co-founders of Flow Cycling. Guys, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So to give our audience a little context and, and backstory, why don't you guys tell us how you guys got into flow cycling, maybe give a summary of how flow cycling came to be and um, uh, m- maybe a brief summary of what you guys are doing in the last two months. Sure. So uh, John and I are both mechanical engineers by trade. We graduated from university in 2006, I think, Yeah, that's right. which is making us old. Um, so yeah, we graduated, we worked as mechanical engineers for about six years, started one business that didn't work. And then, um, in the, in the, in that process, I got into triathlon and started training and racing a lot. And I was kind of drawn to the bikes and the equipment and the gear and how it all works. So wheels were one of the big upgrades that you could purchase. And, uh, there were two types of wheels back in the day. There were the guys who did all the design work like the heads and the zips, um, and they sold through a standard distribution network. And then there was the people who were importing stuff from overseas that were based on an old technology because of a patent that existed. And um, basically, you could buy them direct from that company for a much better price. So I ended up buying the higher dollar wheels. And when I got them, I just thought, man, there's got to be a way to make a very similar product for a much better price. And at the time, this patent kind of prevented people from doing that. So I took the wheels home. I showed them to my brother and said, hey, man, what do you think these cost? And he guessed $500. And when I told him that they were up to $3,000, he almost fell out of his chair. (laughs) So I I just said, do you think that we can do this same thing for a better price? And he said, of course. So that kind of started this mission to, to do it. And conveniently for us, the patent that was held actually was expiring that year. So we were the first company to merge a well-designed uh, modern product with consumer direct sales. And um, we sold our products for right of the gate, $898 a set, where the competitors were doing it for close to $3,000 a set, two to $3,000 a set. And uh, it was kind of a too good to be true thing. So basically a love for triathlon, the sport, being mechanical engineers and seeing a product opportunity is what started this company. And John and I have always wanted to be entrepreneurs uh, for sure. So this was just a good fit. Um, What have we been working on the last two months? I think that's what you said to finish that. Um, We're always designing. We're always researching we're always looking at ways to improve so we've been doing a big uh pretty big marketing push as of late as well as um aerodynamically i would say that we have i I don't want to say perfected it but i think that we've squeezed a lot of the 
the juice out of the, the aerodynamic side, if you will. And we're starting to look heavily into rolling resistance. Um, because if you look at a wheel, you have the aerodynamic side of it, but you also have the rolling resistance uh, portion of how it, uh, how much energy it takes to roll the wheel, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done a lot of work on rolling resistance as of late, and we think that that research will lead us into our next product lines. Very cool. And who held that patent? It was co-owned by Zip and Head. Okay. Okay. So that that came to completion or or whatever the term is, and and you guys were. Were you the first company to jump on that opportunity to um, move with with this new technology, or were are, are there others that came out of that, or have come out of that? Since there were that- there were others that there, did, there were- uh, but we were the first to merge the consumer direct side of it with a, well, a new design product. And we were definitely the first new company to to jump on that. So there may have been existing companies that. You know, started to change their current production to towards a, a different shape, a more toroidal shape. But from a company starting out of the gate, we were definitely the the first ones to do that. That's awesome. So then, w- within the company, what are you guys' roles as co-founders? What what does that kind of look like for you guys? Are it, is it just the two of you roll, doing everything from shipping and handling to to you know design and and uh, all the technical aspects of it. What does that look like from a business perspective? Yeah, good question. Um, when we started, we literally did everything. Um, so it, and we, I'll admit we did a lot of stuff wrong in the beginning. Just, <laughs> I remember our first container showed up and we had a, I was living in a two bedroom condo at the time. And we put a container full of cycling wheels in that two bedroom condo and figured we'd ship them in like three days. It was about two weeks later as we were walking through mazes of boxes that we realized that we needed to get a better system and that we we, <laughs> overest- we highly underestimated the time it would take. Um, since then, though, we've we've actually outsourced a lot of stuff. So we are shipping that outsourced to a fulfillment center in Michigan. Uh, all of our production is handled in, in multiple factories, some in Belgium, some in Taiwan. There's a factory in the United States that does some stuff for us. Uh, so... We've streamlined a lot of that. From a day-to-day perspective, uh, John, myself, I do a lot of the design work. I do the bookkeeping, accounting stuff. I do a lot of the customer service. If you email the company, I'm the guy that will email you back. Okay. I do some of the social media stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff that – and other stuff you do as a, as a business owner owner as well um we have an app that was we have on the developer of the app and that sort of stuff chris does a lot of the web work um he handles the be slow twitch um which if anyone's listening has ever been slow <laughs> twitch you'll know what that means um, he does some of the social media stuff as well he handles any um issues with products that we have every once in a while you get a warranty issue which is not very common but um he does that and he works with our fulfillment center back and forth so it's a pretty even mix of, of roles and responsibilities that we have. Um, so it's, uh, it's cool. And it, you know, we sort of just naturally fell into these roles of how and why things work. I think that's part of the benefit of being a twin. You've worked, we've worked together well our whole lives in and out of business. So it's just, uh, yeah, it just kind of all fell together. And then, and then as you guys plan and, and think into the next two to three years, what is, what are some of your goals as you guys look forward? I think the big thing, one of the big things for us right now is our whole mission um, as a company was to 
create a brand that was a few things. The first thing was we wanted to develop a cycling wheel that was extremely fast. If you bought our wheels that you would not be giving up anything compared to anybody else. I think to date we've pretty much accomplished that. The other part of the goal for us was to be able to sell that product consumer direct uh, for a number of reasons. The, the big benefits that we see from a consumer direct sales standpoint are a few. Number one, the consumers have direct contact with us. So that's beneficial for both us, the brand, and the consumer. We get hands-on information from people, not only in the United States, but from around the world. To date, we've shipped to 65 countries. Wow. Uh, which is which still kind of blows both of our minds. I yeah. think that we've actually got products in that many countries. And then the other thing is for the consumer, you know, they're talking directly to us. One of the things that we have recognized, though, from a cons- consumer direct model is that it is challenging when you start to jump outside of the United States. Currently, I would say, I think the last time I checked the numbers were about 81% uh, of our sales are in the United States. Okay. About 9% of our sales are in Canada. So if you look at just North America, I mean, that's excluding Mexico, we are at about 90% in, in just these two countries. So English-speaking countries have adopted to our stuff pretty well. It's sometimes what we're recognizing is there are other countries that are are not adopting well, countries that do not speak English. So if you look at current cycling companies, there's a lot of movement in directions to try and either shift existing sales model to consumer direct sales or they're coming up with hybrid systems for consumer direct sales. And our belief is that if it's if it's a consumer direct business, then it needs to be purely consumer direct, um, and that doesn't mean it changes when it, when we go go into different countries. Some of the things that people are doing currently is they are uh, they'll ship consumer direct in their own country, and then as they go overseas, they'll bring in an international distributor. Okay. The issue with that is that it raises prices not only locally but it also raises them internationally. So some of the things that we are doing now is we're moving. And, and pushing in things with our site that are different. In the next week or so, we'll be releasing our first uh, new language on our site. So we've fully converted the site to Japanese. We've also been developing a number of things that allow people, international international customers, to come to the site and determine what means to ship wheels to their countries. Anytime you ship something internationally, you you basically become the importer. So either our import laws and, and guidelines, we have calculators and guides and now that are going up on the site to make this process as easy and as streamlined as possible. Um, so th- that's, that's sort of the direction that we're pushing. The reason we chose Japan is be based on analytics. We've been looking at a lot of the analytics data and, and Japan has now become the largest uh, country outside of the United States that purchases wheels. And that's, that's even including all the other additional English speaking countries. One of the amazing things that we found, too, is that 100% of this, the site traffic that comes from Japan is originating on a computer that is in, a, that is in Japanese. So the, so the Japanese are actually landing on our website and reading English when it's not their, obviously not their first language. I, I know there's a large percentage of the population that speaks English, but we're trying to keep that message as pure as possible. And if we are a consumer direct brand, then we want to speak to the consumer in their own language. And then on, on top of that, I mean, you, you asked about the benefits for customers. I mean, price is, arguably, is probably the biggest one. 
And the biggest reason that we're able to cut down on price is because through standard distribution. So if you buy your wheels at a bike shop, it goes from oftentimes a factory to the owner of the business, to a distributor, to a bike shop, and then to the end user. And every time that product changes hands, it goes up. So if you look at the big brand guys, their price to a distributor, it's the same price as ours to the customer because our, our product chain is uh, factory to us, to the consumer. So what we sell to the consumer is the level that the other brands are selling to the distributor and those prices are the same. So the reason you're paying a better price is just because of the distribution model. The product is essentially the exact same. And even with the, the, the import and any duty or tax that you will pay, the, the cost is still significantly less to the consumer, even if the distributor was involved, because the distributor is going to pay those same import fees. So then, then the markup is still added. Interesting. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting. It's, it's kind of been one of our main focuses lately. And, you know, five, six years ago when we started this and we I remember our first interbike, which is a big trade show for recycling, we uh-huh. went and we were talking to people and people were saying, oh, you know, what's going on with your business? Hey, we said we're going to sell consumer direct. And the response that we got was like, don't go to consumer direct. It's a horrible idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I don't think it was. I think a lot of it was probably just Chris and I were kind of right on that millennial cusp of a generation. And <laughs> right. in my, my mind, getting a, a store and and all the expense of that and then trying to convince people to buy our stuff and then having payment terms, I'm thinking, I I don't know if my brain works that way. For me, it was like if I have stuff online and they come, and they buy it, we'll ship it to them. And then yeah. I get the money up front. And, you know, and, and so we, we started our business model just because that's the way that we, we felt it was best. And we believe that the industry could potentially go that way. But I don't think we predicted what we're seeing in the, in the current marketplace where there's a major shift in the whole industry. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of in turmoil now. And I think our belief is that we're, we're, we think we're kind of on some of the, the leading edge of how to make that happen and, and keep it a, a consumer direct model, purely consumer direct. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and as you guys think about expanding internationally and you, you mentioned that 90% of your sales is in North America, is that, is there a lot of barriers just with, um, you mentioned translation of language, but even within the translation of language, like cultural barriers and, and nuances within language that are, are barriers. You might say something in the States and it would make sense, um, being, being communicated to an English speaking audience, but that might not translate whether it's technical aspects of, of that communication or, or other is, are you finding that there's some of those nuanced, uh, barriers within just cultural and uh, language barrier. Does that question make sense? Yes, certainly. Um, so yes, there are a lot of nuances and things that uh, don't transfer from English to other languages as well. So you, I mean, technically you could take your website content, put it into Google Translate and uh, roll the dice basically. Right. And you get a lot of, a lot of bad translations that way. So what we've done is we've actually hired a professional translation company to translate all the text. So they they use native speaking Japanese people uh, who are very experienced with exactly what they're doing. So they can take all the nuances. Our stuff is very, very technical, but they can take all of the English language and then convert it to Japanese in a way that makes absolute sense in Japanese. So we've been very particular with how we convert the language. That's great. That's really cool. So so as you guys expand and grow and, and run into some 
competing with some of the big brands like Head and Envy and Zip. Um, you guys obviously have a, a different model, um, the consumer direct model, and that and that helps out, especially I think in this millennial age. Um, but what what sets you guys apart from those other those other big brands besides just being able to offer uh, uh, equal product at, at at a cheaper price? I mean, that there's more so much more that goes into creating a brand than just Hey, we're cheaper and just as high quality, right? I mean, you, you've got to get right. people to believe in what you're doing, um, and I, I think that that is something that's been something I've noticed about you guys that's so different than those bigger brands is that you do have um, some purpose and values that drive seem to drive what you guys do. And so, can you maybe talk on some of those points and, and what differentiates differentiates you guys? Sure, I, I think there's two factors. I think. Um, the first thing would be that our whole belief is that we want to take care of the customer and that's kind of twofold. The first part of that is we spend a significant amount of time researching things about cycling wheels. So it can be spent time spent in the wind tunnel. It can be tire studies or anything that we're doing tire specific. We get a lot of data and that data helps drive the, the, the development at flow. We believe that if we give that information away and explain that, that that creates uh, an environment where we're taking care of the people who are looking at our products. So we're extremely open with all of our testing protocols. If you go to our website, you can, we, I think we performed the largest tire study ever out of A2, the wind tunnel there. We've worked with a guy named Tom Anholt, and we've basically listed tires from fastest to slowest when you combine aerodynamics and rolling resistance. resistance. That's one example of, of the information that we're giving. Um, we're also very open with all of our testing protocol when we go to the wind tunnel to test wheels. So people who buy the product are pretty familiar with what they're getting. We're also very open about just the business in general and, and the whole process of starting that business and either success or failure. So um, that, that's one aspect. So if, if somebody is out there today looking to find a wheel that is fast for their bike or a tire or anything, our intent is to be the, the company that, that gives you that information and we're happy to give it to you. We're happy to allow you to, to make that decision. On the other end, we look at things from a, from a consumer uh, just from a um, customer service uh, perspective, we started started the business around the beginning of the concept of um, content marketing and real time marketing. A number of different catchphrases back in the day that were becoming popular, and our whole belief was that hey, we're going to start a business that's online. If somebody writes us or gets or asks us a question, if we don't respond to them quickly, if we don't give them a real answer, they're probably going to go elsewhere. We knew at the time that we were competing with a lot of bike shops and a lot of other brands that were willing to give information. And we tried to turn that into a, into a customer service model that, that would work really well online. And we always have kind of looked at it this way. If you walked into a store and you went up to somebody that was on the sales floor and, and said, hey, can you give me some information about this, you know, product X? And if they just stood there and looked at you and didn't say anything, you probably asked them again. And if they still stood there and looked at you and didn't say anything, they'd walk out the door and they'd go to the store down the street because people expect a response. Right. So we're is quick to get back to people. And we, we've done a lot of work on our site 
to even provide videos that will literally walk you through every step. If you have a few simple tools, you can basically do all of the work to get your bike set up at your home, service your wheels, do all those sorts of things. And if you need to, I mean, we'll get, you can call us on Skype or FaceTime and we'll walk you through a video, you know, right there to, to help you get through that process. You'll find our phone numbers are online, cell numbers. They ring directly to Chris and I. Um, typically if we're not sleeping, we answer the phone. So we're, we're pretty open with, with people getting to us, which isn't much lately. Yeah. It hasn't been much lately. Uh, but so it's, it's that, it's that dual aspect of what makes us different. And I think the other thing too, that you can add on top of that, uh, and this isn't to take away from zip or envy or head those guys all, we know all those guys, they're great people, make great products. It's just, right. you look at every brand, there's a bit of a difference. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that we do uh, that does separate us a little bit is our social responsibility side of the business. So um, <clears throat> we have a, a program called bike for a kid. So all 1% of all sales uh, goes towards our bike for a kid program. So that allows us to purchase bikes and helmets for less fortunate children. And we work with a company called more than sport who uh, that was this company was started by a guy named Chris Lieto, a pro triathlete. Um, quick story on how we started that. He, was racing in Mexico and he was staying in a fancy resort and he went out for a bike ride and he saw a cardboard box that was moving and he thought it was blowing in the wind and he looked and it was actually a family living inside this cardboard box and he thought you know I'm traveling the world I'm living in these I'm staying in these beautiful hotels and I'm making all this money as an athlete and the places where I'm racing and the communities where I'm racing you know there people are living in cardboard boxes so he wanted to create a a, a program or a business um, that allowed him to give back and you could combine that with sports. So we met Chris and Kona a few years ago, great guy, hit it off and they are our partners in that. So they help us find, uh, the right organizations to donate the bikes to. They help us, um, uh, set up all the events and they travel with us and they've been a really good help. Uh, and then we just started a one tree for every wheel sold program. So my brother, uh, had a really great idea with this one. He just said, you know, we are shipping all these cardboard boxes, all of these plastic parts around the world and waste is a huge problem on the planet. So we started an initiative to plant one tree for every box that we ship. Um, I think one tree makes how many boxes, John? Uh, we've shipped about, when I wrote the article, we had shipped about, 15,000 wheels to 18,000 wheels. And that had accounted for about 200 trees. So That's by gross. planting one tree for each box or grossly. And it's like 80 times. Or yeah, something it's, crazy. It's so like every, it's every tree we plant makes 80 boxes. Wow. So we're basically giving back 80 times every time we sell, we ship a box. Um, and then right now there are some plastic components that are in the boxes. We'll actually be in Taiwan in a, about a month and a half. Uh, to visit factories, and our, one of our pushes on this trip is to visit some box factories to, to find a way to eliminate all the plastic parts from the, the shipping materials so that we can ship all 100% recycled uh, cardboard. And then that way, we're not putting a lot of plastic back into the environment just because we're shipping. So that's that's the second thing that we've done lately to have a bit of a social responsibility side of things. That's really cool. And that when I, when I asked that question, that's kind of what I was – directing towards um what you guys have done with that and the purpose and and deeper values than just selling product 
um, that kind of, kind of sit at the core of who you guys are is, is very noticeable. And so have you guys, as you guys have pushed those social elements within, um, flow, is that something that your, your customers and audience has communicated back, but they, they love that what you guys are doing and they're advocating and, and being loyal to flow cycling because of that. Have you noticed that, that loyalty based on that, that social aspect push? 100%. I, I think it's um, one of the things I've learned about running a business is that you're never going to sell to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to find what makes you unique and you need to be happy with that and you need to live that 100% every day. And one of the things that we've always had with this business is that there's that social responsibility portion of what we do. And there's a large group of people, especially the some of the younger generation of what we're finding is that some of their key buying decisions are made on our companies being socially responsible. Right. I mean, we've had, we've had a number of messages that, you know, say, you know, one of the main reasons I buy not, I mean, yes, you guys make great wheels and they're fast, but the, the, the clinching thing for me to make this decision is, is your tree program or your bike for a kid program. Um, and so the, those are things that, I mean, even if, if we didn't get those messages, we would still do it because that's what we believe in. Right. Um, but it's, it's great to find that there are a number of people that, that fully support that and, uh, and are behind us in, the, in those efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and that, that key, you mentioned that you would do it regardless. I think that's key because um, pe- if you were just doing this as a marketing uh, ploy, people are going to see through that <laughs> immediately. But, but you guys are um, – authentic in in that pursuit and uh, and authentic in that belief and it it shines through in everything that you do so um well thank you that's I, uh that's a big compliment yeah thanks it's it's been part of what john and i've done our, our whole lives uh really and and when we started this company it was kind of a natural extension of who we were and it's been part of flow since day one so it's been important that's really cool um i want to transition a little bit you mentioned triathlon uh, in the beginning of the conversation is was triathlon like the go-to market sport that you guys were going after? And, and I mean, cycling and triathlon go hand in hand. So obviously there's not much of a difference, but, um, what was the, what was the thought process in, in choosing triathlon as your primary focus or did you, what was it just cycling in general or triathlon is just core to who you are, um, to who you guys are and, and an important piece to what you guys do personally? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I don't think that we specifically said when we started the company, this is going to be a triathlon company. Um, we knew it was going to be a cycling company, and that was the main focus. Okay. I think the triathlon side of it came to be because I was a triathlete at the time, and I was eat, sleep, you know, eating, sleeping, and breathing triathlon. I knew triathletes. I knew the... I knew what they were doing. I, I knew the culture. And then we also were very active on slow twitch, which is a big, um, triathlon forum. And it's not that we, we've never marketed to cyclists. It's not that we haven't sold to a lot of cyclists. Um, for whatever reason, the triathlon space just kind of took to the story a little better, took to what we were doing. Um, I think you get a little bit different, demographic when you look at cycle the your average cyclist to your average triathlete and uh-huh. triathletes are very technically savvy uh they're more data oriented they're more data oriented they love new new products new stories and 
John and I have been called a million times the apple of cycling. I mean, we literally started this in our garage. We, we took pictures of everything, good, bad, indifferent. We asked people what type of carbon fiber they wanted. We helped people let us design our logo. And the triathlon community just kind of fell in love with this idea that there were these guys who were trying to start this business in our garage. And man, we had negative people. We had positive people. <laughs> but it just it created this story where people were like, man, can these guys actually pull this off? And when we did, it was – people seemed to feel like they were part of the creation of the company. And for some reason, I think it was because of slow twitch and the certain forms that we had more luck on, um, it just became this triathlon brand right out of the gate. And it's not that we're not a cycling brand. I think the introduction of our carbon clincher wheels uh, have really helped increase the cycling side of it because of a weight perspective. Right. Um, but we would sell – John, how many – what percentage of triathletes do you think we'd sell to? I think that's shifting, um, but I believe that uh, in the beginning it was it was pretty heavily skewed. And another reason I think part of that was is we initially released three wheels, which were a 60, 90, and disc. So cyclists at the time were not really thinking anything more than I mean, forty five was crazy deep for a for a cyclist at the time. So <laughs> right, we, and again, that's not something that we initially planned. We just thought, hey, if we're going to make deep wheels and we'll go 60 90 disc which is kind of the thing but today you know we've introduced you know a 30 mil wheel 45 mil wheel carbon clenchers and we're we've got some road teams now that we're working with specifically and, and i would say we've we've moved significantly into the road space uh in the last while which is which is definitely a good thing for us yep that's really cool so can you guys share some specific marketing strategies and approaches you guys have uh, seen that have brought success you mentioned when you first started out you, you were making a big push in this content marketing um, uh, approach and now things beyond that like inbound marketing and account-based marketing, all these new terms that are popping up over the last couple of years. What have, what have you guys seen that has brought you guys success within that space? Uh, okay, good question. I'll start with what we've done to date or what works. Um, and what maybe a little bit of what hasn't worked, and then I'll let John kind of take you on what we're looking at moving forward. Um, so we read, uh, there were a couple books that were very influential in what we did in the very beginning. The number one book for us was uh, written by a guy named David Merriman Scott, and the book was titled The New Rules of uh, Marketing and PR. And the whole premise of this book is that you had to create valuable content for people to read and you had to be a great source of knowledge in your community. Um, you had to get back to people quickly. And basically what you do is you, you write a lot of blog articles that are very informative. So if you're looking to buy cycling wheels, you may have questions like, you know, what's, what's the difference between a 60 mil and a 90 mil wheel? Um, what's the difference between aluminum brake tracks and carbon brake tracks? How does, how much pressure should I put in my tires? All of these things. And we have, I think 250 some blog articles now that we've written with just content, wind tunnel results, all of these things. So basically what you do is you write a lot of great content. And when people go and search for answers to questions that they have, they land on your site a lot. Um, and if they land on your site enough, you become viewed as an expert in your space. Right. And, you know, I mean, 
it's I hate to to say that we're experts, but I would say by this point, I would say John and I are pretty much experts in what we do. We've just spent so much time doing it. Um, but yeah, so people start to trust you in that way. There's also, uh, there's a lot of online forums and that's why I mentioned slow Twitch. There's a uh, beginner triathlete. There's a, there's a ton of forums out there. We even have our own forum now. Um, but you know, people on forums may say, Hey, I'm, I'm having a problem with, uh, controlling my bike and crosswinds. What can I do? And if you can get on there and give them a good answer that is science-based and, and help them solve a problem, they appreciate that. They feel like you're, get, you're getting some value from you. And then when they do need to buy a product, they often look to you to buy it. Right. Um, so those, those are the things that have really worked for us. Great content uh, given away for free. We wrote an ebook actually on how to build a bike from scratch. So people are interested in that. You can download that. Um, and then we also, so that was, that was great in the beginning, but what we noticed is that we were kind of talking to the same niche group. There was this circle of people that were, was so big and we were having a hard time reaching out past that. And, and let's say we have a circle of, uh, 25, 30,000 people. How do you get to 50,000 people on your email list, a hundred thousand people on your email list, et cetera. Um, so our thought a couple of years ago, we worked with a, a PR marketing and PR company where they would send me interview questions and I would write basically a magazine article and then they would pitch those stories to entrepreneurial magazines, to, uh, tech magazines, cycling magazines, et cetera. And they would do final edits. And then we were published in 30, 40 magazine articles, anywhere from entrepreneur magazine to, uh, you know, stack fitness or, or men's fitness, or I think we did fitness RX. That was the one. Um, what we learned was that, you know, while we got a ton of press and a ton of marketing, it didn't really help grow our sales at all because we were doing a lot of entrepreneurial stuff and the people who were reading the content that was great content weren't necessarily interested in buying cycling wheels. Right. So we kind of had to go back to the drawing board and uh, I'll let John take over as to what we've been doing lately as a way to try and push continual marketing. One of the things I think that uh, we've, we've recognized in the last while is that when we started, we picked a few social media platforms and, 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 the, and the blog content. And today that's changing on such a rapid, at such a rapid pace. It's, it's almost uh, a little daunting, a little overwhelming at times to think about. Yeah. Um, every day there's a new feature, like there's Instagram stories, there's, you know, the, all these different additions that as you're growing a business and you're trying to, I mean, you, you can go write a blog article and, you know, you, you get online and you look at something and there's a, there's all these things that are happening. So we're trying to adjust and, and, and figure that out. And one of the big things that we've done is in the last while is we've been working with a new marketing company called, uh, Junction Marketing, actually, out of California, which is, um, they've, they've been a great group to help us out. But we, we just put together, we've always had sort of a, a marketing calendar content kind of thing. But we've put significant time and resources into this. And there is a very specific plan now that will allow us to not only create content, but then deliver the content in a way that is pretty focused as opposed to just being, Hey, we wrote a blog article. Let's, let's post it on Facebook and let people know. Cause it's not really how it works anymore. Um, so we've put a lot of time into that. 
Another thing that we're actually in the process of doing is, is ironically starting a podcast since we're on a podcast. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but uh, we've, we had, we worked with a, a podcast a while on a, we're featured on a podcast a while ago. Guys, good buddies of ours over at trainer road have a very cool podcast and they had us on there and just the response and, and, and interest we've gained from that one that podcast nuts. alone is absolutely insane. Pod, the podcast culture and the podcast community is growing at an alarming rate. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the new, uh, if you want to call it content marketing platform in a number of ways. And I know, you know, that you're obviously running one. So uh, <laughs> I'm preaching to the choir on that. So that, that, that's one other aspect. And, and then the final aspect is, is mobile. Um, we've had an app in the app store for quite some time. It's an app that I developed that's basically a RSS syndicate for a number of popular publications. And if you open it right now, it may crash. I apologize. I'm currently fixing a number of bugs, but uh, <laughs> that's, uh, I'm in the process of that. And the reason it's taking so long to fix it is because we are completely 100% redesigning the app. Um, one thing that we notice is that it actually generates, if you look at the number of sessions that are generated per day, it's the number of people that use the app. Uh-huh. It's pretty similar to the amount of traffic that we get on our website today. So you're looking at six, seven hundred people per day that not only have eyes on our website, but have eyes on this app that that we've kind of created as a as an idea. So we're going to start using that in a way that's a little bit more beneficial to the consumer and also to ourselves. Um, so there'll be some cool new features coming out with that. So those are all ways that we're looking at changing our marketing and 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 just gas keeping current trying to keep up with the pace of the the change in marketing which is which is a little crazy yeah that ever this ever-changing market so so it seems like a lot of a lot of stuff you guys are doing that content marketing approach um, a lot of it is like top of the funnel mid funnel type type marketing getting people to notice you but that's not necessarily maybe they're not necessarily in in a buying position not ready yet um, but you have eyeballs on you how are you how are you guys driving sales down at the bottom of the funnel? You've got people noticing who flow, <laughs> flow cycling is, and then but you mentioned that like getting them to actually make that purchasing decision has been the difficult part. What are some of the you kind of touched on it, but what are some of the new things you guys are going to try in order to um, push them through the rest of the way to make that purchase decision? Um, I don't I don't think we've had a terribly hard time convincing people to buy. Um, it's funny, John and I would both tell you that since we've started this business, we've been running five, six years now, we've been selling for just over five years. I've never once asked or told somebody to buy our products. Um, I've never believed in pushy sales. I hate it myself. Yeah. We, you know, we, we've, we just finished our 30th order. Um, an order for us is a container that contains anywhere from 600 to a thousand cycling wheels wow. we put them up for sale on our websites um the so the first sale we ever had was a pre-order you came in we had no money to place the minimum order quantity with the factory and um we, we basically pulled a kickstarter before kickstarter. yeah we basically created our own kickstarter before kickstarter happened that's what i was gonna ask so, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of um nuances about your business and how you guys have talked about it that seem very similar to a Kickstarter. I was going to ask if you guys tried Kickstarter. Well, we, we, it may have just come out or was kind of, we new, didn't know I don't it. even think it was out. Basically we didn't know about it, 
But what we did is we had created, we basically told the story from day one, you know, we're making this product, we're going to do it. We chronicled the story. We had one factory that was ready to go. And then last minute, we were going to start our business in May of 2011. And it was way earlier. Maybe it was a little earlier than that, actually. Um, So basically, this factory told us they could, they promised us the moon and back. And then last minute, they were sending us samples that weren't round. The carbon was terrible. We kept asking what was going on. And they said, oh, we were rushed. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. Well, three or four rounds of that later and nothing happened. We got on the phone with them and they said, well, we lied. We really don't know what we're doing. We're waiting for your engineers to come over and teach us how to make carbon fiber bicycles. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we've been telling people that we're going to start sales and take pre-orders. And anyway, it it didn't work. So that postponed us a year. I actually jumped on a plane within a week or two, was in Taiwan meeting with different factories. And what we learned is there are there are a handful uh, and well, probably half a handful of factories that are worthwhile to have make your bicycling products. So there's there's a few factories that are overseas. In Taiwan is rumored to make 95% of all carbon fiber cycling products in the world. Wow. So your Trek, your Specialized, your Cannondale, your Felt, your, all those bikes are all coming from the same or similar factories. And there are a handful of, of factories that do their jobs exceptionally well. And if you end up being able to work with one of those factories, you've got a great product. So um, I went over after, we started in China and that was a complete disaster. Taiwan is where you want to be. So I went over to Taiwan and I met with about six different factories and there was one clear winner. And we were, we couldn't even come close to paying for the minimum order quantity. And I remember talking to the factory owner. He's a great guy, but he's, he's old school. And, and he, uh, he was just looking at me like this guy, there's no way he's going to be able to place them in a mortar because I mean, guys come over all the time and say, we're, we're going to be the biggest wheel company in the world. And, and a lot of times I'll turn them down. So my approach with him was, look, I know I'm nothing today, but I promise you that I will do everything I can to grow and to give you business. And, after a couple of visits with him, whatever I did worked. So they let us in. Uh, we paid an astronomical amount for our own custom molds because we wanted to own our own designs outright. So we paid the money for the molds and then we had absolutely no money left to place the order. So that whole process of finding a new factory, getting new samples, getting everything done took another year. And wow. in that, that yearly process, we had gained, just by telling the story the whole way, we had gained a list of close to 4,000 people. So we met with a marketing company and they gave us, they said, look, if you've got a list that big, you know, do this launch type idea. It was based on this sale uh, strategy that people had used. And anyway, we just told people, look, we can't, we can't basically can't afford the minimum order, but if you place an order, uh, you'll get your wheels in 60, 90 or 120 days, depending on when your order comes in. And we opened up the site and we had a countdown timer and the whole deal. And within about four seconds, we crashed our web server. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we thankfully got it back up. And then in the next 30 to 45 minutes, sold 850 cycling wheels to 27 countries, I think. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that many in the beginning. Close. It was 850 wheels to 20. No, it was 28 countries. That's 28 what countries. Yeah, yeah, 28 yeah. countries. I was really, yeah. um, and we just thought, oh, wow, we, 
we did it. So, I mean, we had a ton of money to, um, to place the orders. And then ironically, we were working with a payment provider at the time who seized our account because they'd never seen that much money come in that quickly. We were doing 60 transactions a minute. So we had told these people what we were doing. We said, look, we're going to have people pay for a product ahead of time. So all the money came in. We moved the money to our bank account to pay our factory. And the payment company calls in the next day and asked us where the money was and said, um, have you shipped the product? And we said, no. And they said, well, until you ship the product, you don't own the money. So put it back or we will reverse all the charges and you'll lose everything. So our Kickstarter idea worked well until the, the company made us move the money back and then they seized our account for six months. So they held all of our money for six months. Um, anyway, we scrambled like crazy. We had no idea how we were going to pay for the product. We just promised people we were going to ship them. Um, we definitely don't come from money. My parents provided us a great living, but a very normal salary and lifestyle. And we tried for weeks and weeks and weeks to figure out how we could get a bank to, to pay it. And to make a very long story short, um, our parents helped us out. They had a line of credit. It wasn't even their money. Uh, they gave it to us and the whole thing came through and eventually we, we paid everyone off and it all worked. Wow. Um, and since that date, I mean, you've asked, you know, how, how are we driving sales to, to complete the sale? Our intent has been to have stock from day one, um, but we are selling so so fast that uh, in the popular now we've actually been fortunate over the last year in the off season we're actually able to maintain some stock. So you can typically come in and buy what you want, but in peak season like right now, we just had an order last week, and our one of our most popular wheels right now is our our Flow sixty set, and it's sold out in two minutes and we had like 45 of these in stock which is a lot for the flow 60s it's it's changing a little bit but they're gone in two minutes um and we had about 600 wheels they were the, all of them were gone 10 minutes in about you know most of them gone on within 10 minutes and and that's that's frustrating for us people think that we have like this crazy sales strategy where we just you know it's like a rock concert where you're selling out in minutes <laughs> it's not really our plan i mean like we are holding stock in, in the winter so um we're at this point trying our best to stabilize production and at the same time ramp up marketing so that we have a, a steady flow of um, customers coming in, buying what they want and getting them when they want them. And part of that messaging for us is actually changing the belief that we are a company that just has orders every six weeks and you have to basically take a risk to get them. But that's, that's one of the big challenges for us right now. Oh, so that, so you guys have, have, uh, um, Taken, taken advantage of that approach and just said, hey, put in your order and we'll let you know when it's ready type type situation? No, no, no. So well, that only we... lasted once. We only did that once, okay. basically okay. one time. And then to, to take people's money ahead of time, we thought that would work, but it actually doesn't work. People just, I don't know. We don't like taking people's money until we have product. So right. basically after our first order, we said, here's what we have. It's available for sale. If you pay for it, we'll ship it within a week, basically. It, and the big problem was we'd get 800 cycling wheels in, sell in five minutes, and then John and I would have to figure out how to ship 800 packages within oh, like a week. And that, <laughs> so we did that for about two years. I think John put on 25 or 35,000 35, stickers. I, I mean, we physically shipped, I think, 7,500 cycling wheels, which, you know, you think 800 packages 
is that's not that big a deal. You just print the labels, but it's it is it takes two weeks. I mean, you have oh, to print. Gosh. Just oh the, yeah, like just your paper cuts in in taping and boxes. Oh, dude, it's on because we we put on custom color stickers. So the worst the worst injury we ever had was we actually we <laughs> warehouse. It was a talking about injuries. So it's kind of funny. We were we had a dirt floor warehouse. Long story. A buddy of ours was, had a five thousand square where square foot warehouse and he said hey uh you know i'm gonna let you come into this warehouse and i'm, I'm gonna have a concrete floor i'll give you a super great rate i'm like okay awesome so the week we're moving in we go he calls says hey you gotta have some bad news for you i'm like what's going on he goes well that uh concrete floor is not going to make it and uh the air conditioning is not going to make it either I'm like, okay <laughs> in well, las vegas, in las vegas. oh gosh and it's like old desert dust in this warehouse <laughs> i think we're still breathing out of our lungs this is like three years later but anyway we were in this we we're in the warehouse one night it was late it was we were cleaning it up and every once in a while we'll have a we had we had a few discs that came over once where we had this thing where they would make a like a pop noise as they were going around. It was just an issue with the bonding the fairings. We had probably four or five of these things laying around, and we were cutting them up. And we had like this this tool that basically it's like a mini hand, mini hand grinder that we just use to cut the spokes out, and then we pull all the components out because we don't want to put usable wheels in a, in a dumpster. That's not the best, probably the best strategy. So we're doing this. It's late at night. We got spotlights in there because we don't have any power or like any hanging fixtures and we're cutting them. We got all these, all this more safety gear on, you know what to do with gloves, gloves glasses, ear, ear protection. And I, I, I'm cutting the wheel and I, I turn around and I see Chris kind of jumping around and look and he's got a spoke all the way through his hand. It went through one side and out the back of his hand. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, so, <laughs> through the gloves, through the gloves, I take it off. I'm looking at it and I'm like, and then he pulls it out from reaction. And I'm like, uh oh. So, I mean, now I'm like, I'm running around trying to find anything I can do to wrap it because the blood is going everywhere. Unless you hit something, it's kind of funny. So, I'm like in panic mode. I'm running around. I'm like, what am I going to wrap them up with? Everything in this warehouse is covered <laughs> in more dust and <laughs> contaminated than I know what to do with. Anyway, long story short, I, we pulled the glove off, and it it wasn't it wasn't bad. It looked way worse than it was, but so that's our uh, that was our big injury. Yeah, so paper cuts were pretty minor compared to that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously, holy smokes, it's a good story now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and and that was my next question. Like you guys, so you guys told you guys told that story, all the ups and the downs through that all all the oh yeah banking experiences and like so your audience your audience knew what was happening through that entire yeah. process right yep <coughs> absolutely they so did. we told them everything and we even got involved in a right out of the gate a legal battle that we weren't technically allowed to talk about we really haven't to this day but we basically had made some money uh finally as a company and without giving any details um I mean, for lack of better terms, we got really screwed over with something and lost every penny we had. Um, yeah, so that was right in the beginning, and that was a rough one. But, but yeah, we've, we just told the story, and um, we've let people – we've just been honest, and people just love the the great American dream story. And John and I are Canadians, ironically, but we, we're, down here, <laughs> we're down here living it because we just grew up wanting to live that crazy dream. And I mean, people come to this country all the time for that. And uh, But, yeah, it, it worked well, so – that's well. It's such a testament to just being completely open and honest with people, and and when you do that, and you don't keep things shrouded in secrecy, and and kind of 
create this perception that things are better than they actually are. People like in your guys' case, they buy in even more so and, and, and are more loyal to you because you've been so honest and, and brought them along in that story you guys have told. Absolutely. And that's like, we do a lot of presentations with businesses at times and we'll give advice. And that's always one of our number one touch points is just be honest and transparent. And that goes so far. People don't, yeah, people get frustrated if there's a delay or they get frustrated if something doesn't go exactly how they want. But one, if you're honest, you're open, people are like, look, it's just an issue. They get over it typically. And overnight shipping fixes almost anything. So overnight shipping in a t-shirt will fix just about anything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, there's just these things you do. You just treat people basically like you want to be treated yourself and that, that will take you so far in business. Yeah, absolutely. So then uh, last question, because we're kind of, we're running out of time. I don't want to be respectful of your time, but, uh, around that storytelling, how, how are you guys, you are communicating with your audience and, and storytelling and, and talking about the social aspects that are important to you, those core values and purposes that are deeper and more important than what you're actually selling, right? And so how how are you storytelling and allowing that storytelling to drive and be a catalyst for um, for those purposes and values and that why behind what you guys are doing That's that's beyond – we make a great quality product that is at the same quality level as, as the envies and the zips. But when you purchase with us, yeah, you're going to get a cheaper product, but you're, you're going to be investing in the sport of cycling. You're going to be investing in something deeper than just this product that you guys are um, purchasing. So how, how do you, are you guys driving of, are you guys driving your storytelling through that vein as often as possible? Or is it a balance and mix of the technical aspect of what you offer and that, like, what does that kind of look like? It's a, it's a very, if, if you were, if I were just to spit out all the things that we do, you'd probably go, man, that's a real shotgun approach. But I think if you, if you really start to look at it and dissect it, and especially with a lot of the marketing stuff that we put together in the last while, it's actually really calculated. There are honestly hundreds, if not thousands at this point, point ways that you can market a product. Yeah. And I mean, you can go magazines, you can go television, you can go radio, you can go, I mean, there's a, there's a million options. And I think what you can find is you can get lost in the noise. Yeah. I think it all comes back to who are we as a brand? And what do we stand for? Why do we wake up and do what we do every single day? Why do we start this business? What, is, what are the things that we believe in as a business? And our marketing efforts, you know, we're, we're pretty big on being a, a company that we, we can, if we have an internet connection, we can work anywhere. So freedom is a big part of what we do. There's a lot of stuff that we do that is just kind of on that millennial generation while we're still trying to, you know, keep in contact with people. So the big things we are using today are definitely more uh, newer phases of marketing, the traditional stuff, sponsorship, um, advertising with magazine publications. Not that we don't haven't or don't do any of that stuff. It's just not our main focus. We find today that, you know, the social responsibility stuff and, and going out to events. We did one last week for our, our Ocean side and we had uh, Tyrell Williams from the Chargers showed up, you know, and, and that's just a way that, we connect in in a way that's completely different and it, and it tells that story. You know, there's, 
there's just a lot of cool things that are happening. Instagram is now becoming a big thing for us. Uh, Instagram stories is something we're starting to look at. The, the mobile side, like I said, uh, it still goes right back to our original founding principle that, hey, we'll write a blog and we'll give a bunch of information. But the way that we distribute that information today is changing uh, for the for the good and, and definitely um, at a rapid pace. And we, we basically created four things that we touch on a lot. Those are social responsibility, um, consumer direct, a well-designed product, the, the R&D portion, of and then the R&D portion. And, and then, you know, we, we also try to engage and focus with our customers. We've got a lot of stuff with uh, some new stuff coming out where we're looking for content that's actually created and generated by the user. So, you know, community involvement um, is definitely something that, that's always been important. I mean, you can not only can you write us and get information, but I mean, we love seeing pictures of people's wheels on bikes. That's, that's always cool to see. It's, it's really neat when you go to a race or you go somewhere or you're in a different country and you, someone's riding down the road and you see your wheels. It's like, wow, I guess, well, the, yeah, they are ours. It's kind of still hard to believe that we actually shipped those. Somebody, so it's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yep. Well, gentlemen, this has been really fantastic. Uh, thank you guys so much for being on the show and, and uh, answering all of our questions. If people want to get a hold of you and, and learn more about Flow Cycling, um, Chris and John, how can, they, how can they get a hold of you and touch base with you guys? Uh, so our website, flowcycling.com, F-L-O-C-Y-C-L-I-N-G.com. Uh, we made it really easy. There's a big contact link on the top of every page and, and the, the bottom, bottom of every page. And if you get there, you can write us or our cell phone numbers are there. If you call those numbers, you get John or I. So, uh, yeah, call us, email us. We'll get back to you for sure. Perfect. Well, thank you guys for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. Very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Active Lifestyle Marketer. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other Active Lifestyle brand leaders or know someone who would be a great guest on the Active Lifestyle Marketer, let us know. We love connecting with Active Lifestyle brand executives and sharing their insights and knowledge with our audience. Just send us an email at info at tigercreative.com. And lastly, if you need help telling your brand story, we would love to share how we could help in that process. Check us out at tigercreative.com. See you next time.